0: I want us to spend some time looking at the book of Amos. It's, it's nine chapters long. Um, we're gonna have another a number of sermons out of this. I don't know how long it's necessarily gonna take us, but um, in Amos' day, God's people were in need of a wake-up call. Um, I think there's something about human nature. Uh, that requires at times for us to have a wake-up call. It seems as if we tend to fall into a routine, we um, go with the flow, we um, maybe get in a rut, however you want to put it, and we kind of just get with the flow of life and maybe the people around us and the things that are going on in our culture and our society. And um, many times we just kind of get in this state where we become desensitized to uh, spiritual matters and we really end up someplace where we didn't intend to, to end up. Um, the same was true in Amos' day. And Amos is that voice of God that uh, is, is a note of reality. That's why I've entitled uh, these sermons. Sorry about that, Adeline. I got a little bit loud. Um, I'll try to tone it down a little bit Um, I tried to capture what Amos is about and I I'll say this in all these sermons it's get real, get right the key to getting right is getting real and being honest before God and that's what we want to talk about today and um Amos is a, a voice of reality, a wake-up call in his day in the midst of a people that had become desensitized to their spiritual condition. Uh, Moses is that voice that exposes where they are. Uh, the one truth that uh, I want to submit to you that I'm going to use all these weeks is what we said last week, and it is this, that our that our spiritual vitality is dependent upon times of renewal. Our spiritual vitality is dependent upon times of renewal. It's what, what I talked about, a wake-up call. There have to be times where we go, wait a second, I've got to assess where I am. And if I'm not where I need to be, then this is my time to uh, have a course adjustment. Our spiritual vitality is dependent upon times of renewal. Uh, we introduced Amos last Sunday, and we talked about a couple things about Amos. Uh, in those first verses, uh, Amos is described as first an outdoorsman, and I described last Sunday how he was just a country boy. He was not from, um, he was from a, a small town, a small area, he was a breeder of a particular kind of sheep also as a side job he was he had some sycamore trees that he um, produced fruit from as a I guess another source of income and so um, the reason it is significant that Amos was an outdoorsman is because what else we talked about last Sunday is he was an outsider uh, God's people in Amos' day needed an outside voice because the vast majority of people were caught up in the group think what was uh, what everybody was doing and where they were was not a good place and it had gone on for a number of years and really they were needing an outside voice uh, an outside perspective to say this is how God sees your life um, I'm kind of a visual person can we show our map again this Sunday Um, I don't you may not be a a visual person but there's gonna be several significant things I kinda want you to see on this map Um, at the very north you'll see in parentheses Syria If you will make a mental note of that uh, tire is up in the top part of the map along the coast uh, you see Ammon on the right side of the map, you see Moab bottom right, you see Edom at the bottom, you see Judah, you see Philistia, and actually the city of Gaza is going to come up uh, this morning. Uh, Amos is actually from a little town that's south of Bethlehem. If you can see Jerusalem sort of in the middle of the map, and about six miles south of Jerusalem is Bethlehem, another six miles uh, south, which is right at the Judean wilderness, is the city of Tekoa, where Amos was from. Uh, in Amos's day, God's people had divided about 160 years before this. In about 922, uh, they had divided into two southern uh, tribes, which were were Benjamin and. Uh, and Judah, but Judah is the dominant one, so it just becomes known as Judah. The ten northern tribes became known as Israel, and it was a rivalry. They had split over who was to be king, and they had, for 160 years, they had become rivals, and the northern kingdom uh, had set up their own places of worship because the primary place of worship for all of God's people was in Jerusalem. The problem is that was in Judah in the southern kingdom. And so the northern kingdom said, well, we're just going to set up our own thing, and we're going to worship God how we want to. But the problem is, when they started with that compromise, they began to go down a road that led them uh, into all kinds of influences in their life. It It is of note that Amos is from the southern kingdom, but he goes to preach in the northern kingdom. In fact, we believe in the year 762 B.C., that uh, very specific Amos preaches in a very specific place and it's Bethel it's just into the region it's 12 miles north of Jerusalem just into the 10 northern tribes and it was a place where there was a shrine they had set up a place of worship and Amos goes as this uh, outdoorsman outsider he was not a part of the... His, he, he, said, he says in chapter 7, he said, I am no prophet. My daddy was not a prophet. I'm not a part of the, the prophetic uh, guilds or the communities there. And what he was saying is I'm an outsider. The only reason he would come and preach this message is because God had called him to preach it. He was an outsider. And surely he thought that they would hear it from him. But we saw last Sunday that... From that passage in chapter seven, that after only a short amount of time, that they basically say you need to take this show and you need to go back to the house because we've had heard all that we wanted to hear, and uh, he has run out and basically has run back. We assume to his his home region uh, after only a short time of a prophetic ministry. And so I wanted you to kind of see this, and we're going to talk about some things today. Um, I wanted to focus our attention this morning. On kind of his opening statement and it's in chapter 2 verse 6 you can look in your Bible we're also going to look back at some verses in chapter 1 uh, but I want you to see something today because I think it is it is critical for us for our own spiritual vitality and our own times of renewal that are so necessary that God speaks to us today about a wake-up call so in Amos chapter 2 Verse 6. And I want to read that and then I want to talk about a number of things. It says, Thus says the Lord, for three transgressions of Israel and for four, I will not turn away its punishment because they sell the righteous for silver and the poor for a pair of sandals. Now there's going to be a pattern I'm going to show you here in just a minute that he starts in chapter 1. But always it starts with, thus says the Lord. And what I want you to sense is in the midst of a day where God had sent uh, situations, God had sent circumstances in their life to try to get their attention, as he does in our lives. Many times there are circumstances that come our way, and they are ways for God to say, this is your wake-up call, can't you see it? But in the midst of a day in which the people could not see the circumstances in which they were passing through, God says, I'm going to speak in no uncertain terms. When you hear from Amos, you will hear from me, and you will know what God has to say to you in your day. There will be no question. Thus says the Lord. That's what Amos would proclaim. There is this pattern uh, through chapter 1 and chapter 2 where Amos says, for three transgressions of Israel and for four. Um, We talked about this in our life group this morning that many times the Old Testament uses uh, phrases and words, things in such a way that doesn't connect with us. Uh, But all through chapter 1 and 2, Amos is going to say, for three transgressions and for four. Uh, It is a prophetic or poetic way of him saying there are a number of things <laughs> that are problems here now the, uh I think in our day we might say hey I've got one or two things I need to talk to you about mm. that would mean just a few he didn't say I got one or two things I want to talk to you about he said no I got three or four but the, maybe the good news is he didn't say I've got seven or eight things really we need to hash out today uh, and in all of the pattern that we'll see in chapter 1 and chapter 2 he says for three transgressions and for four but actually the most significant word in that whole phrase is of Israel Um, and what he meant by Israel were the ten northern tribes you have to understand this is the country boy the outsider from the southern kingdom this is their rivals he has come to their house the house of Bethel their place of worship where their religion their politics everything kinda mixed together and they were doing their own thing and everybody was kind of on the same page until Amos showed up and said no God has something to say to you Israel now um, the other phrase that actually drew me to this scripture and I'm gonna come back to that at the end uh, Amos says God says through Amos here's the phrase I will not turn away its punishment. If there's kind of one phrase in the midst of everything this morning that's going to be the phrase, I God says, I will not turn away its punishment. God is going to detail their sin. And God is gracious and God is compassionate and God is merciful but God is also righteous and holy and God says the point will come that I will not turn away its punishment God may say for a number of years no no just wait just wait just wait but I'm telling you for his people the time will come where God will say I cannot turn away anymore because there are consequences to your sin. Uh, in the verses that follow, and I want to cover these real quickly, um, um, Amos makes, or God through Amos makes his opening statement of the sin of Israel. Uh, he always starts this pattern and we'll see this in just a minute he says I will not turn away its punishment because here it is And he begins to talk about what's going on in Israel in fact this will be really the rest of the book what he talks about here but he says because they sell the righteous for silver um, and the poor for a pair of sandals It will be a theme throughout Amos that God is bringing his judgment to them because of their greed and their oppression Um, they oppress the poor they press uh, oppress those who are not in power Um, this is what I want you to get well I want to say this Uh, the point Of application for us for these weeks that we will be in Amos um, is not about our country the point of application from the book of Amos is our church whether you want to call that the church in America you want to call that Huntington First Baptist Church God is speaking to the community of faith his people And so I don't want us to jump and go, oh, God's detailing this sin. Now, we're going to talk about the pagan nations here in just a second, for just a minute as we close this. But I want you to see that God is not speaking to the pagan nations at this point. He's talking about his people. And at the very heart of what Israel had done is they had violated the covenant commitment that they had to one another. When he talks about selling the poor and the needy, and oppressing them. He's not talking about the pagan people. He's talking about no within the community of faith, because from the Old Testament there were certain obligations because they were in covenant with God and they were in covenant with one another. And one thing they couldn't do: you never sold your brother into slavery. But he said, "That's no, the very thing that's going on." You have violated the covenant community of what we are to be about as a people and it it is a reflection of who God is in our lives. You sell the righteous for silver. So it's not only violating the the, the covenant agreement that they had with God, but it is an expression of greed and oppression. You sell the poor for a pair of sandals. Even in, in the prophetic poetic way he says in verse 7 they pant after the dust of the earth which is on the head of the poor in ancient times they would throw dirt on their head as a symbol of sorrow and he said you are so greedy and you are so oppressive that the very dust that's on the poor as a statement of their sorrow over their conditions that they're in you pant after that you want to take that from them but even the dust that they've thrown on their head He talks about their immorality, their perversion in verse 7, and you pervert the way of the humble. He states very specifically in verse 7, a man and his father go into the same girl, which not only violated uh, the Old Testament, but was probably a reference, and we'll see this later in Amos, to uh, pagan worship here and the... um, temple prostitution that was going on it violates God's standards for his people in all respects a man and his father going to the same girl to defile my holy name you have been ashamed to the name you are part of a covenant community you made an agreement with me of how you were to live and you violated all that and this has been going on verse 8 they lie down by every altar on clothes taken in pledge not only are they lying down by very, every altar, which had their altars that were supposed to be to the one true God had been um, compromised by pagan practices. Not only were they going altar to altar and worshiping pagan gods and the one true God altogether together in their life, and they'd mixed it all together, but they lie down by every altar and this is kind of a prophetic and poetic way of putting it on clothes taken in pledge and so he's saying you're spending the night at these altars at places and you've taken your brother's cloak and the old testament stated that if your your brother loaned something from you and you took for collateral his clothes every night you had to return that to him because that's what he didn't have a blanket he had to cover up with that to stay warm and you've not only are you laying down by every altar, but you're, you're laying, laying down on the clothes. You've taken in pledge from your brother and you violated the Old Testament law. This is wrong at every level and in every way. And drink the wine of the condemned in the house of their God. And so he begins to detail the things. But he, in this opening statement, he makes a transition to remind them of the covenant relationship they had He says in verse 9 and he repeats this, I think it's about three or four times here. He says, yet it was I. This is the life that you are living, yet it was I that God says. Who destroyed the Amorite before you? I defeated your enemy, whose height was like the height of cedars, and he was as strong as the oaks. Yet I destroyed his fruit above and his roots beneath. Verse 10 Also, it was I who brought you up from the land of Egypt and led you 40 years through the wilderness to possess the land of the Amorites. And then finally in verse 11, I raised up some of your sons to be prophets and some of your young men as Nazarites. Is it not so, O children of Israel? In verses 9 through 11, he reminds them, think about what I've done for you and the inconsistency of this is what I've done for you and now this is the life that you live and you don't even see it because you become desensitized to it he said you've even violated that in verse 12 he said but you gave the Nazarites wine to drink there were three things that those who had taken the Nazarite vow that were to be symbols of holiness in the midst of God's people to remind them of who they were to be no alcohol you can't touch dead people Well, for Samson, it was hair. Okay. Well, I guess for all the Nazarites, they weren't to cut their hair. So there were three things that were symbols that they were to live a holy life, and it was to be a reminder. And he said, even the Nazarites that I called up and set to be holiness to you, you you gave the Nazarites, verse 12, wine to drink, and commanded the prophets, saying, do not prophesy. God said, you violated all this and there's a statement in verse 13 that God kind of summarizes up all of this and he says behold I am weighed down by you as a cart full of sheaves is weighed down the country boy uses a imagery of a cart that was hauling uh, some kind of grain It was piled up so high if you've been to Africa it's that it's those little those little taxis that are piled up like three times as high as the actual vehicle and there's like people hanging out the windows no you've weighed this thing down it's not gonna it's not gonna go very far god was saying if i had to put this in the vernacular of daryl smith maybe speaking to my teenage kids back in the day i'm not saying you ought to use this or not you're wearing me out i am weighed down it's just like ah give me a break here no, you've, you've loaded up. God says you are a great burden to me. There's a play in thought here because Amos' name means burden. And God, in one of those opening statements in, in 2.13, he says you have weighed me down. I am so burdened by the lives that you are living as a cart full of sheaves is weighed down. And he concludes this, this chapter and this thought, this opening statement by saying that God's judgment is inevitable and it is inescapable. You can only live a life out of line with God that eventually a righteous God says no more. You are my people who have been called into covenant. I will not stand for this anymore. So he says in verse 14 through 16, he says, Therefore, flight shall perish from the swift. The strong shall not strengthen his power, nor shall the mighty deliver himself. He shall not stand who handles the bow. The swift of foot shall not escape, nor shall he who rides a horse deliver himself. The most courageous men of might shall flee naked in that day, says the Lord. God says when I bring my judgment which is inevitable it will be inescapable. The mighty, the swift, the strong the one who has a bow the one who rides a horse mm -mm, will be no match for God's judgment when it comes. This is all very significant. Um, As God teaches the point to his people that his judgment is inevitable but what I didn't read were those verses that preceded this and I want to give a little bit of a summary of that because I want you to know when God makes the statement that his judgment is inevitable that is true not only for God's people but it is true for all people there's kind of something very interesting that happens after Amos starts his book and he writes it he gives kind of some um, introductory statements to who he is where he came from when he prophesied and he makes the opening statement in verse 2 the Lord roars from Zion which means that God has announced that he is about to pounce judgment has come and Amos is that voice of God It's very interesting This isn't going to be on the screen, but if you want to look in your Bibles, in chapter 1, verse 3, right after he's introduced himself and he's introduced the gist of, of all that he will prophesy, he starts the same pattern that we saw in 2, 6. He says, Thus says the Lord, For three transgressions of Damascus, and for four, I will not turn away its punishment because... I want you to get this picture that Amos, the country boy probably wearing shepherd's clothes he goes to this place of power in Bethel to their place of worship and he begins to proclaim the word of God and he says, thus says the Lord for three transgressions of Damascus and for four I will not turn away It's punishment because, and he details the sin of Damascus. And you know what the, I think, this is just conjecture on your pastor's point. You know what I think the people that were sitting there in Bethel as they heard this boy, that eventually they looked at and said, boy, what you doing? And he began to talk about Damascus and their sin. You know what they began to do? Mm. That's right. Those are some bad people up there in Damascus. Mm -hmm. Now Damascus was far north of them. Actually, it would be the very people that would come to bring God's judgment. He talks a couple verses about Damascus. Mm. There were just a few old deacons that were just kind of humming and saying, well, that's right, preacher. Mm -hmm. Then in 1.6, he says, he uses the same pattern. For thus says the Lord for three transgressions of Gaza. And for four, I will not turn away its punishment because... And he details the sins of the Philistines that were represented by the city of Gaza. And you know what? They began to chime in a little bit more. and said, well, no, those are some bad people. They started with Damascus to the far north, and then he he went to the southwest where the Philistines were. And they're saying, that's right. You got that right? Those people are bad. They need God's punishment. I understand why God wouldn't turn away his wrath from them. One nine, Thus says the Lord, same pattern, for three transgressions of Tyre and for four, I will not turn away its punishment because... So he goes to Tyre, which was a, a city-state that was to the northeast of where they were in Bethel. And he begins to talk about their sins. And they said, you know what they said? You got it right again there, preacher. You right on. You tell it the way it is. Then he goes to to 111. Thus says the Lord for three transgressions of Edom and for four. I will not turn away its punishment because. He talks about Edom, which was to the far south. Now, what you don't. I wanted you to see that map because there's something that the prophet is doing here. He is circling like a buzzard the surrounding people, but it is a spiral that is enclosing on a particular location but he talks about Edom which was to the far south you can see that there Mm, they were saying well that's right preacher those are some bad people Ammon's next 113 thus says the Lord for three transgressions of the people of Ammon and for four I will not turn away its punishment because you see on the map how Ammon was now just across the Jordan River from where they were just to the east. It's getting a little bit closer to home. Chapter 2, verse 1, Thus says the Lord, same pattern, for three transgressions of Moab, and for four, I will not turn away its punishment, because... He only spends about two or three verses on each of these countries. You're going to have to put that in perspective here in just a minute. You see Moab, which would have been to their southeast. Well, it really... He ratcheted it up in 2 4 because this is the boy that's from judah and he has come to their house but in 2 4 he says thus says the lord for three transgressions of judah and for four i will not turn away its punishment because and they're like yeah man it's not just the pagan people those rivals of ours to the south Those are bad people, too. And you're telling it straight up, preacher. Seven countries or city-states, seven groups of people, the same pattern. Thus says the Lord, for three transgressions and for four, I will not turn away its punishment because... And he spends about a verse or two describing their sin. You don't really get that sense until we come... Our scripture today in 2.6. I want to show that again, 2.6. And in the midst of all of that, as they're going, No, you're right. Those people aren't living right. I understand why God's going to judge them. Thus says the Lord, for three transgressions of Israel, and for four, I will not turn away its punishment because I have a feeling that day. The atmosphere in the crowd changed a little bit at this point in the midst of the sermon or the prophecy. The Judean country boy outsider <laughs> had it all right till he began to say, no, let's talk about you. And here's the thing. Seven different countries, and he spends about two to three verses. Do you understand that Amos is nine chapters? He spends the next seven and a half chapters. I don't know how many verses that is to say, but you know what? It's not about, yes, yes, God. God is a righteous God, and whoever it is, they are accountable to him. But that's not what we came to talk about today. We came to talk about us. Israel it's about you and that's where we're gonna pitch a 10 and that's what we're gonna talk about you see he circled closer and closer and in the midst of their agreement of all that he said then he finally makes the point for four transgressions thus says the Lord for four for three transgressions and of Israel and for four I will not turn away its punishment We see it so clearly in other people's lives but not in ourselves. Somehow we give ourselves a pass. Isn't it amazing how clearly everyone else's sins are to us and how we seem to excuse to minimize our own sin of how we are out of line with God that somehow we have rationalized it in our brain to say well it's it's not that bad and it's okay it's the phrase that we use oh God understands the prophet of God came in 762 to say oh God understands and what you need to understand is God will not turn away the punishment yes God is gracious and he is merciful but the day will come that the righteous God will say I will no longer turn away its punishment for what is due the starting point for us in spiritual revitalization is to get real with God to be honest before God and to say God would you speak and let me really know where I am in my life. And it's only when we get real that we can then get right. The call of the prophet is not to look at everybody else. It is to look at me. As we apply the book of Amos and we study it, I want you to know, sitting in this room today, this is not a series of messages about America and what's wrong with America. Oh, there's a lot of problems. And God is a righteous God. And God will do as he sees fit in his time. But the book of Amos is about the community of covenant people, his own people. And God says, this is who I am. And this is the life that you are living. And I sent circumstances to your life so that you would see that you were out of line with me. But that was not enough. Therefore, I have sent a voice as a lion roars before it pounces to say in no uncertain terms, this is the way God sees your life. The only way we'll ever get right is if we'll get real. And let God speak to us about where we really are. I'm going to ask you to stand this morning. Um, I want to pray. The altar is open this morning. I will be at the front. Byron will be at the front. Uh, If you have decisions to make as you need to come before God, um, you take this time as your time to say, God, show me my life my spiritual life not as I envision it not as I imagine it to be but as it really is it is the starting point of renewal father I pray that you would speak to us today and in the days to come and father I pray that you would give us courage to receive what it is that you speak to us And, Father, to line up our lives with who you are. And so we pray that you would do your work in this time. And we pray it in the name of Jesus.